US stocks closed at fresh record highs on Saturday morning. Bond yields fell on dovish talk from the Fed about quantitative tightening. And the oil price spiked overnight after OPEC Plus and Russia extended their oil production cuts. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, ANZ's Head of Sustainable Finance, Catherine Tapley, tells us about demand for green bonds. We've seen um, a landmark agreement to support vulnerable nations um, facing some of the worst climate change impacts, and that's with the Loss and Damage Fund, which has commitments totaling more than $700 million. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, the S&P 500 closed up at another record high on Saturday morning after strong quarterly earnings results and a benign view of likely Fed rate cuts starting later in the second quarter. Stock prices were also helped by a fall in US Treasury bond yields after a Fed president talked about slowing down the Fed's pace of quantitative tightening. Meanwhile, overnight, oil prices rose around 2% after OPEC Plus and Russia confirmed the extension of production cuts of 2 million barrels a day. Brent rose $1.40 a barrel to $84.20 US a barrel. Gold also surged almost 2% to a record high of over $2,090 US an ounce, again because of those lower bond yields. The Aussie dollar was firmer against the US dollar at 65.31 US cents at 5am this morning, Sydney, Melbourne time, and the Kiwi was up also about 0.4% at 61.07 US cents. Number two, markets will be watching two central banks this week for signs of easing, but without actual policy cuts. The Bank of Canada comes out on Wednesday night and the European Central Bank on Thursday night, ahead of US non-farm payrolls data on the jobs market in the world's biggest economy on Friday night. Here's ANZ's Group Chief Economist, Richard Yetzinger. The focus will really be on what they're saying because both have reason to be shifting towards an active easing bias. Nobody expects them to be moving yet. Certainly we don't and we have the ECB first cab off the rank in June, a bit like Australia sitting here in the first week of March. June's feeling like a a little way away, although for the ECB we probably limp there, I think. And then for the Fed, of course, payrolls will be crucial to this expectation about whether there's any chance of a, a start in June. We haven't put a lot of weight on that. Our expectation has been July and still feeling somewhat comfortable about that. Number three, China's Purchasing Manager Index surveys of activity in manufacturing and services in February were in line with expectations. ANZ strategist Xiao Pangxing sees a few green shoots. Uh, both numbers are much higher than uh, level seen uh, last the Q4. I think uh, it signals that the China economy uh, growth momentum is showing some earlier sign of stabilization. I think this is a good thing to say. Uh, based on this, we uh, expect the uh, policymakers will be patient. Yeah, because of the data. I think uh, the PBOC uh, just cut the triple R uh, 50 bips uh, last month uh, so that uh, we expect the PBOC were not uh, eager uh, to move at the next stage. Number four, rate cuts seem closer on the horizon in Europe and in Canada, but they look much further away in Australia, says Richard Yetzinger. Even though inflation data was weaker than forecast last week, it has only been four months since the RBA actually hiked. 
the run of luck hasn't really gone their way because since then, certainly on the inflation side, it's been pretty much a consistent run of downside surprises. And potentially, you know, we've got a bit of time, a bit of wood to chop in the first quarter in terms of the data, but we could have Q4 and Q1 where quarterly inflation is around the top of the Reserve Bank's target band. Uh, That's sending a pretty strong signal. And at the moment, you know, our call is the Reserve Bank cuts in November. November is feeling like a little way away though, isn't it? Number five, watch out this week too for the annual National People's Congress in China. The party's leadership are expected to make decisions over the next six days on China's new GDP growth target, its fiscal budget targets, and its climate targets. Xiao Peng sees that GDP growth target potentially being lowered this year to 45 to 5%, from 5% last year. Uh, the most important thing, uh, of course, it uh, will be the growth target of this year. Uh, you know, the growth target uh, play a very key uh, role in China economy. Yeah, if the growth momentum slowed compared with the growth target, uh, the government usually uh, gives some uh, stimulus. Uh, if the growth number is higher than the target, I think the government will uh, press the brake. Zhao Pangjing there. Now, in our deep dive interview, ANZ's Head of Sustainable Finance, Catherine Tapley, surveys the outlook globally for green social sustainability and sustainability-linked bonds after a slowdown in issuance in late 2023. It's really a reflection of you know, contraction in global um, bond and loan markets um, that we've seen through that corresponding period. Interestingly, though, um, when you look at particularly the Q4 um, data for sustainable finance markets, you know, we have seen um, a reduction across, again, between the first half and the second half of 2023. Uh, But I think what's interesting is that despite that weakness, green bonds um, as an instrument posted a new record and made up almost half of the total annual issuance. So we're talking um, volumes of USD dollars, I'm talking here, um, Bernard, of about $41.3 billion in green bonds during the course of 2023. And that accounts for almost two-thirds of the annual increase in total green bond issuance. So we think that probably reflects growing government momentum to fund energy uh, transition initiatives, and, and we'll probably talk about it, but certainly energy transition was a very major focus of uh, COP28 um, held in Dubai um, not long before Christmas. We did see some drop-off in loan markets in that format, so that uh, green bond equivalent in loan format. Again, not driven by lack of desire around ESG agendas. It's it's more a reflection of what we've seen in loan and bond markets uh, generally. You mentioned COP as the event to watch in the fourth quarter. What came out of COP from your point of view? So I think the headline for me, the COP agreement called on parties to to shift away from fossil fuels. So that's a a demonstration of progress from previous summits. So it implies a shift in energy mix towards lower carbon sources and sort of a call for sustained reductions in greenhouse gas emissions in line with a 1.5 degree warming scenario. You know, look, some commentators will say this Pledge could be more ambitious and calling for phase out or phase down. You know, however, the transition away from fossil fuel call was new and very clear. So I think we can expect to see um, governments committed to that, in particular working really hard during the course of 2024 in the run up to the next COP, uh, which will be in Azerbaijan, uh, really 
looking towards upping their pledges and, you know, tripling things like renewable energy generation capacity, which is a pledge that was also made in the context of COP. So So I think that's pretty progressive. I think a couple of other things that we saw on the agenda at COP in particular was climate adaptation. So that's the work that needs to go in to ensure that our infrastructure is resilient um, and can adapt to the inevitable climate impacts that we will see because of where we are with global warming. We need to have a combination of mitigation and adaptation as a result. So we've seen um, a landmark agreement to support vulnerable nations um, facing some of the worst of climate change impacts, and that's with a loss and damage fund, which has commitments totally more than $700 million. I think that's really important. Adaptation had somewhat gone off the agenda, um, so it's good to see it back there because we do need funding to deal with, as I described, the inevitable impacts that we're going to suffer and continue to suffer. And what's the outlook for this sort of bond issuance in Australia and Asia and New Zealand this year? Certainly, we've had a pretty good start to the year in the labelled space from what we've observed across the APAC region. Uh, Now, you do see seasonal funding across borrowing entities such as semi-sovereign agencies, multilateral agencies, semi-governments, etc. at this time of year. Catherine Tapley there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Monday, March the 4th. Catch you tomorrow with a deep dive into why the energy per capita consumption target expected to come out of China's NPC this week is so important. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.